welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today, we feature Billy Graham. This sermon was recorded on August 24th, 1985, during a crusade in New England. Mr. Graham served as a trusted spiritual advisor to U.S. presidents and world leaders and had an impact on the lives of public figures. But he was perhaps best known for touching the hearts of regular men and women, most of whom never met him, but were moved by God's love during a TV or radio broadcast. Today, Billy Graham's message is The Home. Tonight I want to uh, speak on the home, or the problems of the home. And one of the people that works with us said, I hope you don't tell those old maid stories that you tell sometimes. But uh, I'm not going to tell any. But I am going to tell about one fellow that rushed up to a minister and asked him if he had performed the ceremony. He had the bride there and she was in a heavy veil and he had the license, and the minister said, yes, if you've got the license, I'll perform the ceremony. So I performed the ceremony, and when it was finished, the young fellow reached in his pocket and gave the minister a dollar. And uh, the minister reached over and lifted the veil of the bride and took a look for the first time, reached in his pocket and gave the fellow 75 cents change back. So we have a lot of happy homes here tonight. But I want to talk about some of the problems of the home and some of the answers that uh, I hope you can find in the Bible to problems in the home because the American home has been in trouble for a long time. The statistics at the moment have just about evened out. And I believe part of it is because of the spiritual awakening that's going on in America. I think we're now in the midst of the greatest spiritual awakening this country has ever known. More people... More people go to church today than ever before in the history of the United States. Did you know that? And uh, there are more true believers, I believe, in our population than any other time. Now we've already heard the scripture from the seventh chapter of Matthew, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all know that something is wrong with the home. We know that. Because one out of two and a half marriages is ending in divorce. Now Jesus talks about two men that were building their homes. One man built his home on a solid rock foundation, and when the storms and the winds and the hurricanes came, it stood. The other man built his home on sand, and when the hurricane came, his home crumbled and fell. Now, when we built our house, we have a log house, and we got the logs from some log cabins in the mountains where we live, and we live about 3,500 feet up and we can see about 20 miles from our front porch, and we bought the land for $12 an acre and thought we were getting robbed. 
30 years ago and built a log house there and we still live there. At least my wife does this week because she wasn't able to come with me uh, to this crusade. She'll join me uh, Monday where we're going for a little bit of writing and rest and uh, she regrets that she didn't get to come to uh, Hartford but she's been having some difficulty with her esophagus and she has to go to the hospital and have it stretched and uh, the first time she had it done she was hurt a little bit. But um, both of these houses that Jesus tells about stood until the storms came. And there are many of you that live in houses, live in homes that were built on the sand, wasn't built upon the rock, didn't have the right foundation, and your home is in trouble. And the trouble is largely because of you, some of you. Is your home built on a solid foundation? When floods of sorrow and the waves of temptation and the gales of adversity come, will it stand? If not, make the foundation of your life and your home the Lord Jesus Christ. No home can stand today, I do not believe, unless you have a strong faith and that faith in Christ. Jesus says in this parable that if you come to him, your house will stand. And Paul wrote and said, let every man take heed how he builds upon. For other foundation can no man lay than is laid in Jesus Christ. Is your home and your marriage laid upon faith in Christ? They found that if you have Bible reading and prayer and faith in Christ in your home and attend church regularly, you're not likely to end up in a divorce court. In fact, only one out of every 300 end up in divorce, whereas the national average is one out of every two and a half. Now, Christ was born in an earthly home. He knew what he was talking about. The first miracle that he performed was at a wedding. And his father must have died when he was very young because the last time we hear of his father was when he was 12 years of age in the temple. And so Jesus probably was the breadwinner in his family, working as a carpenter. And his favorite uh, benediction when he entered upon some friend's home was peace be to this house. And his kingdom is referred to as the household of faith. And he was always talking about, do you belong to the household of God? And Jesus indicated that the entry into the household of God is just like entry into a home here by birth. You're born physically, and then you can be born into the spiritual house, into the spiritual home, and be a member of the household of faith. And Jesus Christ advocated household conversion. He said to Zacchaeus, this day is salvation come to you and your house. What did he mean by that? He means that if the head of the home comes to Christ, which was the man in those days, sometimes it's the children in our day, or the wife or whoever, but in those days it was the head of the home was the man. And Jesus indicated that if he came, more than likely the others would follow the example, and that was true in so many instances. 
And to the restored demon-possessed man, you remember, he said, return to your own house and show how great things God has done for you. Now, you've been converted. You've come to me. You've had your life changed. Now, go back and tell your family what has happened so that they, too, can have the same thrilling experience of being born again. To the man with the palsy on the stretcher, Jesus forgave his sins, and then he said, Arise, take up your bed, and go back to your house. Tell your family, and build your house on a bedrock. Whosoever comes to me, he says, is like a man which built a house, and the foundation was upon a rock, and that rock is himself. Is that the way you built your home? Now, first, to have a successful home, it must be a divinely ordered marriage. You see, God performed the first marriage in the Garden of Eden. God instituted marriage. Before the church, before the school, he instituted marriage. And if we disregard God's regulations, if we disregard his laws concerning marriage, we are in deep trouble. Have you done that? Or have you gone to the Bible for your answers? Because the answers to every problem you face in your marriage is right here in the book. There's no excuse for anybody having a marriage break up if you live according to the Word of God. Now you say, well, I'm already divorced. What about me? Well, you cannot unscramble eggs. So I would say, that's it. God will forgive you. He can cleanse you because there's not a sin that you ever commit, but he never meant for man to be divorced in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God allowed divorce for some causes. But in the New Testament, Jesus recognized only one thing for divorce, and that was unfaithfulness, adultery. And he recognized it by pronouncing judgment upon that person who is guilty. Severe judgment. So if you're already divorced, ask God to forgive you, cleanse you, straighten you out, make you a good wife or a good husband to your present spouse, if you have one. Jesus once observed, that if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And many houses are divided. The husband and the wife and the children and the parents and the parents and the children are divided. And there's tension in the home. Now, one of the things that God says is that we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. In other words, if you as a young person are going with a non-believer, You better break it off. It won't work. The house will be divided. If you're both believers, there's no excuse because the house can work if you turn to Christ. A spiritual problem comes, perhaps, but don't be unequally yoked together. Sex passion doesn't last long in marriage. People think that they can live on 
sex, but they can't. There was a sex therapist interviewed the other day on television. And my wife and I have watched this person two or three times. And she has a lot of good advice. But one thing is missing, the spiritual and the moral. And without the spiritual and the moral guidelines that are outlined in Scripture, marriage has very little chance of working even though they may make good sex partners for a while. A man in Milwaukee, he and his wife weren't getting along, so he left a note, committed suicide. And all the note said to his wife was, you won. That's supposed to be a joke. But it did happen. A marriage is not a one-year option. It's a contract for life. And for the Christian and the Jew, it is a divinely ordered. And I suggest that some of you girls that are getting older and you're an unclaimed blessing, don't you snatch the first man that comes by. You be careful because the Bible says, he that hasteth with his feet will miss the way. One marriage anxious young lady went to a fortune teller and was informed, you'll be proposed to three times this coming year. She said, no, I won't. I'll accept the first one. And you know, you need to pray that God will send the right one into your life. That's why it's so wonderful to trust Christ, because he'll send the exact right one. I went with several girls before I met the right one. Boy, I saw one of them some time ago. I said, thank God. You see, God was preparing a girl all the way out in China for me, and I didn't even know it. And if I'd gone ahead and married one of those others, I'd have never done anything for God that, in the way that I've been able to do because I not only married a marvelous, wonderful woman of God, but I married into a family that was a tremendous family. Her father was worth marrying Ruth to get her father. <laughs> not only was he a great missionary and a theologian and a great surgeon, but he was a great writer and a great counselor of mine. Don't be in a hurry. The Bible says, he that believeth shall not make haste. Marriage is a lifelong commitment. And that's why it's so important not to be impulsive. Wait upon the Lord. He's got someone picked out for you. Let God arrange it. Suppose God wants you, though, to be single. And I believe God calls some men and women to be single. It's a gift from God. There are many people that I meet throughout the world that I know God called them to be single. And I know some clergy. I know some wonderful women that are serving God in the most marvelous way around the world that God called them to be single. And they do far more as singles than they do if they were married. And some of the greatest 
contributions that the church has and society has is from single women and men. Then another cornerstone, the second one in the foundation of a successful marriage is family prayer and Bible reading. In Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, we read, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Teach them constantly. When you're sitting down, when you're walking, when you're lying down, wherever you are, teach your children the Word of God. That's what the Scripture says in Deuteronomy 6. That's God's advice to you. Do you teach your children the Bible? Do you have Bible reading in the home? Do you say prayer at the meals? It says daily in every house they cease not to teach Jesus Christ. In the United States today, where there's prayer and Bible reading in the home and faithful attendance at church, you'll usually find a successful marriage. Now, when I say a happy marriage, it doesn't mean that you're hilarious all the time. No. Of course, every couple has their differences. If they both agree on everything, one of them's not necessary. That's what my wife says. And she said that she's never thought of divorce, but she has thought of murder. We have a marvelous time. And you know, it gets better. If you're in Christ, it gets better the older you get. Now, I am a little bit older than 40. My wife is a little over 40. And we, we didn't know what love was when we were 25 and 23 when we got married. She was 23, I was 25. We didn't even have any idea what love was. Love grows with the years. And we love each other a thousand times more now than when we first got married. One judge in the juvenile court in a Midwest city said that the vast majority of juvenile criminals are those who never came under the influence of the Bible. Have Bible reading and have prayer. And when you pray, make your prayer short. Do you know the longest prayer in the whole Bible? 17th chapter of John. Do you know how long it takes you to read it? Three and a half to four minutes. And sometimes we have, I've been in homes where they had prayer and the man prayed on and on and on and on and on. And his children were going from one knee to the other and they were looking around and I'd get so I'd look around. And I began to pray that the Lord would quiet him down. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of Britain, said, it's not the length of prayers that count, but the depth. And you can drive children away from family devotions by the length of prayers. And I remember when my youngest son was small and we had a visiting clergyman as we often do in our home and we were having our family prayers as we do every day. And uh, I asked him to pray and he kept on praying and when he was finished, my son said out loud, he said, 
whoo, he said, that was too long. <laughs> he was right, but uh, it was a little embarrassing. I bet that fellow never forgot that. He's dead and in heaven now. Now we can be privately and pray all night. Jesus spent many nights in prayer. But when he prayed, that's quoted at least in the scriptures, they were short prayers. Now also, a happy home or a successful home must be founded on a dedicated husband and father. And I want to say something to you fathers and you husbands. You are responsible for the spiritual climate of your home. Under God, you are responsible even more than the wife. And yet many of us leave the spiritual life in the home to the mother, and some of us have to do that, especially those of us that travel. And the scripture teaches that you are to be faithful to her. You took a vow, you made a commitment, and there's nothing in my mind any lower than a man who will make a commitment to a woman and be unfaithful to her. Or a woman that will be unfaithful to her husband. We're to be faithful in that part of our relationship. Now I heard about one clergyman that had, uh, he wrote a book, Ten Commandments for Raising Children. Then they had their first child. He wrote another book, Ten Suggestions for Raising Children. Then they had their third child. He wrote another book, Ten Hints for Raising Children. Then after the fifth child, he didn't write any more books. You know, I used to preach on the home a lot uh, before I had children, and. Uh, I was pretty dogmatic on some points. I leave those points out of my sermons now on the home. Because I'll tell you, your children teach you a whole lot. And you learn a great deal about child raising by having some. And don't condemn the other person who may not be having as successful a family as you. Some children seem to be just born good. And some seem to be just born bad. By that I mean bad in the sense that they're mischievous or they're likely to go out and sample their first drink or take their first pot and cause the parents to just go into a frenzy. And, and uh, I remember a psychiatrist said something once that stuck with me and I never forgot it. He said, when your child goes into stages like that of rebellion or so forth, just love them. Let them know that you disapprove, but love them. And when they come through it, when they come through it, you won't have to reestablish a relationship. It's already there. And I believe that to be true. Love that child, love that young person through those teenage years in those early 20s when sometimes they're having a difficult time because you see they're changing physiologically they don't understand these changes they're changing psychologically they're changing in their relationship to you as a parent 
and they're changing in relationship to society. They have to make many serious choices about who they're going to marry, their vocation or whatever, what school they're going to attend, and they need a lot of love. So the husband has a big responsibility as a counselor. And I heard the other day, or read the other day, a psychiatrist who said something that I thought about, said that grandparents have a tremendous influence and responsibility for children. Now, I have 16 grandchildren, and I think about that a great deal, how little time I get to spend with them. I have three grandchildren at the university, and I would like very much to spend hours with them, and I'm going to try to change my schedule and, and do that. I thought by this time I'd be slowing down anyway, but this year is about the heaviest year we've ever had in evangelism. Now, some of you that have been watching by television, there's a, you see a number there on your screen. You can pick up and call that number and talk to someone who's been trained to answer your questions and help you over the telephone. So call right now. And then uh, fourthly, a successful home rests on a devoted wife and mother. Napoleon said the greatest need of France is mothers. The Apostle Paul wrote, I will, I will therefore that the younger women marry and bear children and guide the house and give none occasion to the adversary. The home is her first priority. Now some women have to work, but you shouldn't work in neglecting your home if you can afford to stay home. I never remember a time when I came home that my mother wasn't there when I came home from school. That was a big stabilizing influence in my life, the fact that my mother was always there. And my wife tried to follow that same pattern, to always be there when the children came home from school and to stay up late. You know, a lot of children don't want to talk till late at night. Have you found that out? They'll open up around 1 o'clock. when they come in late on a date or a party or a ball game. They like to talk late. Well, you've got to stay awake and listen to them and hear them out, counsel with them, and you get a great deal done after midnight with some of these young people. We found that out. And you know, women can have a tremendous ministry in the church. Mary anointed our Lord for his burial, and Martha was always serving Christ. And Phoebe and Priscilla and Lydia and the four daughters of Philip the evangelist were always leading people to Christ. They were actually evangelists. So there's a place for women to minister in the church. I'm not going to get into the argument about ordination of women, because there's great division in our denominations about that, and I'm not uh, involved in that. I'll let uh, Pope Jean-Paul talk about that. <laughs> but I would make a suggestion to wives that are here. Be attractive. I'll tell you, that helps. It really does. My wife was always attractive. I don't care when I came home, she always had something fresh and nice on. I don't mean expensive. I just mean it was clean and fresh and 
There was some perfume in the air. That helps. And I think that that's a part of, uh, uh, of being feminine. And then for you too, as I said to the men, be faithful. You can harden your heart. Men and women can harden their heart toward God in that sin more than any sin that I can mention. The Chicago survey indicates that one woman, they put a device on her, and just doing her household chores, she walked nine to ten miles a day. And you men come home from the office and say, well, what in the world you've been doing all day? G. Campbell Morgan was one of the greatest preachers in, in Great Britain in the last century. And he was asked by a person who visited his home who was the greatest preacher in his family. And he asked his little son, and the son pointed past the pastor and pointed to his mother and said his mother was the greatest preacher. Are you the greatest preacher in your family? Do you teach your children the Bible? Do you have prayer with your husband? Do you kneel down at night by the bed and pray with him before you go to bed? You know, you can solve a lot of problems that way. And my wife suggested something that I think is marvelous and we've been doing it, and that is she prays about my decisions and my problems and I pray about hers together. And you should never go to bed at night with something between you. Settle it by just love. And women, of course, I found, at least, like little things. I mean, you don't have to go get her a big gift, but a telephone call. Did you know that I call my wife every day? You say, well, that's pretty expensive. Well, it's according to how long you talk and it's according to what time you call. But it's worth it when you're traveling as we do. And we keep in touch, very close in touch, not only with her, but with our children as well. And then a happy home and a successful home is based on a disciplined and obedient children. What about you young people here? You are to obey your parents and you are to honor your parents. Train up a child in the way he'll go, and when he's old, he'll not depart, is the promise. But the Bible predicts that as we approach the end of history, the latter days, one of the great signs will be disobedience to parents. And we have seen a rebellion to parents all over this country in the last 25 years. I believe I can detect a change taking place. I hope so. But I think parents have been partially guilty by shirking their own responsibilities. In a recent survey, 75% of teenagers said that they would welcome more discipline in the home. And they admitted that they needed more discipline, that they wanted more discipline. The Bible says if you spank one of your children, they may cry like they're dying, but they're not going to die. And you'll find one of your children will never need any discipline, and you'll find another one needs it 24 hours a day. Like Grady Wilson is sitting here on the platform, and 
he says that uh, his mother always had a, had a sign and had a, a belt hanging there and said, I need thee every hour. <laughs> that was for his older brother, T.W., he said. Now, some of you are more concerned that your children pass grades in school than you are that they enter the kingdom of God. Joshua, the great general of the Israeli army of those days, said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Will you say that tonight? We are going to serve the Lord. As a, as a young person in the home, as a child, I want to serve the Lord. I want to put God first. I want him to change me and make me love my parents more. The wife here that needs to be a better wife. The husband that needs to be a better husband. And you've been trying to do it really without submitting totally and completely to Christ. You're a professing Christian. You go to church maybe. You sing in the choir. You may be an usher here. You may be a counselor. You may be a pastor. But because Christ isn't first in your life, because he isn't Lord of your life, you have a home that's sitting on shaky, sandy foundation. And you need to change. And a successful home is based upon a commitment to Christ. You remember the jailer when the apostle Paul and Silas were in prison? And an earthquake came and the walls began to shake and they shook down and the jailer was going to commit suicide and the Apostle Paul said, don't leave, we're still here. And then this man fell down trembling and said, what must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And he was, he came with his whole household to Christ. And he was the jailer. That can happen to you tonight. Come to Christ. Let him be first in your life. Not second or third or fourth. First. And how many of you need Christ to help you to be the kind of person you ought to be? Let Christ come and forgive the mistakes and the sins of the past. That's the reason he died on the cross and shed his blood. To forgive the past. And then he will give you eternal life if you don't have eternal life. He'll give you a peace and a joy and a serenity. And he will give you a love where love does not exist. Maybe you thought you've quit loving your wife. Maybe you've thought you've quit loving your husband. Most of us don't know what love is. Love is a commitment. Marriage is a commitment whether you feel it or don't feel it. It's a commitment that you've made. Now come in the same way and commit your life to Christ. And he commits himself to you. If you read the second chapter of John, those last verses there, it says that a great crowd was following Jesus and they were very anxious to be with him because he was popular and he was famous, but he did not commit himself to them. Will Christ commit himself to you tonight? Have you repented of your sins and received him into your heart? You say, what do I have to do? First, say, oh God, I've sinned and I'm sorry. 
Then by faith, turn to Christ. By faith, I said, you can't come intellectually alone. If you try to come with your mind, you'll never come. You come by simple, childlike faith. Surrender your life to Christ. Commit yourself to Christ. And say, Lord, help me in my whole life. I'm not asking people tonight just on because of the home. I'm asking you to come to Christ because you need eternal life, and without it, you're lost. And I'm going to ask you to do something that we've seen hundreds and thousands already do this week. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come and stand in front. You can come tonight and bring your family. You've been listening to Billy Graham. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers. 